Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I'm your host and guide, Kendra Ward. Our explorations begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does it brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy, a love affair even, with the land and beings where we live. Let us come together in creative, strange, and disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new old earth-honoring culture to re-emerge. And you, dear listener, can join us in this animus celebration. You can share your explorations of earth-honoring revelry in written word to the story cauldron. So listen to the end or just go to KendraWard.com to get all of the details. And I am so very delighted and honored to be in conversation with Jen Violi today. And Jen, let me just read your awesome juicy bio here. Jen comes from Southern Italian and Northern European immigrants and lives in the Pacific Northwest part of Turtle Island. So along with being a writer, seeker, facilitator, and mentor, Jen is a self-described late bloomer, a witch, a water baby, an orphan, a fool, and a mystic, whatever that means. So really, <laughs> she's here to explore whatever that means, which is pretty awesome and with a huge sense of humility in the process, I would say. Um, how any person really comes to be while spiraling through each ending and beginning. And you can learn, learn more about this gorgeous ward sorceress at genvioli.com. And you can also read and support Jen's work at patreon.com slash genvioli. So Jen, so lovely. Welcome. Thank you for being here Thank with you. me. Yes. Well, why don't you just ground us in place a little bit? I'm curious to just hear from you about this place where you're living and loving and, um, you know, what are some of its names? What are some of the ways in which you create an embodied intimate connection with this place? Yeah. So, hi, thank you for having me here to, in this place, this, you know, virtual actual place. Yeah. The strange so, space. Yeah. The in between the everything. Um, well, I am in what is known as Milwaukee, Oregon, which is outside of Portland. Um, and, you know, a lot, like I'm close to a couple of rivers, the Willamette River and then the Clackamas River. And the Clackamas is actually the name of the tribe who was here um, before, you know, before we all moved in and took over and gave everybody malaria and smallpox. And um, yeah, so I was mentioning to you earlier, like I don't, I don't know the original name of this place, but I'm on a quest to find out um, what other words are there. And some of the quest is honestly just like sitting and asking, you know, like, or introducing myself. Like I had a friend who told me something about, she, one of her mentors said, always introduce yourself to the river, always introduce yourself to, you know, whatever patch of land you're in. So I think I'm in this 
ongoing process of introduction, like, hi, I'm Jen, and then just shutting the fuck up. So <laughs> I can hear nice. <laughs> what comes in response from the trees and the ground and the plants and the animals. Yeah. An out loud conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's ongoing. I mean, one of the pieces that I wrote really recently was something called conversations with everything. Um, and it was about just exactly that, how so much of my process practice life right now has just been engaging in conversation with all that's alive around me, which is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, yeah. And just to follow in on that, I'm always curious about this embodied connection piece, um, which I find it become, it's just a little bit more challenging. So I, I do feel like in um, spoken word or in those introductions that that, you know, moves you into the embodied aspect of things or tell me a little bit more about that. About my, just the way that I feel an embodied connection with where I am. Yeah. 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 I mean, some of it is just like getting my hands in it, mm-hmm. you know, on it. Like I've been doing, I mean, I have space to do a garden for like the first time ever in years, 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 you know, like have a place that is our home, which is complicated too, you know, mm-hmm. after living in apartments for so long, finally being in a home that we quote unquote own, you know, what does that mean? Um, does anybody really own this spot? But along with, you know, whatever it means, it does mean that I can go out into our yard and, you know, kind of engage with it how I want. And so how I want is just to touch things, you know? Mm-hmm. And Mike will often say to me, my partner, he'll just be like, why don't you put on gloves for gardening? And I'm like, I just, then I can't feel it. <laughs> the dirt can't be on me. And, you know, I want the dirt on me. Yeah. Um, there's something that just feels more real. And actually, as I was thinking about our conversation today, I had this memory pop up of being a little girl. And did you have a Darcy doll? No, I don't think so. Just Cabbage Patch. Yeah. So this was like sort of a Barbie, but like a much like, I don't know, just sort of felt like a, a larger than Barbie. Bar- like it wasn't, I don't know, there was something more real about it. Maybe because she was a brunette, okay. um, <laughs> you know, like me. Um, but also like her body just felt like a bigger, more real body than Barbie body. Regardless, I have a distinct memory of being outside and playing with her outside at my grandparents' house and her getting marked with dirt because I was having her like climb trees and play in the dirt and having this like simultaneous feeling of, oh, I messed something up. This is Mm. supposed to be like preserved somehow like this should be separate from this and then also a like that made me love her so much more and made her real like it stuck with me in a different way so I don't know I feel like that's something that I've grown up with too and continue to work through or out of that idea that if dirt is on me I have messed myself up somehow Mm -hmm. or like it's not pristine it's not presentable it's not you know whatever but at the same time, it makes me more real. And all of the stuff that I've heard about, like not presentable or not, like dirt shouldn't be inside the house. I mean, what the fuck, you know? Right. It, it makes me real. It makes 
keeps me alive and that's mm. what I want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like my embodied connection right now is just getting myself dirty. You know, when I'm outside digging and planting, I planted sunflower seeds for the first time and it is amazing. These little seeds, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot right now, but I just got excited about the sunflower. <laughs> <laughs> these little seeds, crazy. You put them in the ground. They look just like, you know, sunflower seeds that you eat. I've never yeah. done that before with sunflower yeah. seeds. But yeah. then they pop out of the ground and the seed itself is on the little green shoot mm-hmm. and then slowly just like drops off of it. And it is just a miracle. It is a miracle. I think there are, there's so many opportunities daily to just feel sort of an outrageous sense of awe at these little yes. tiny things. I mean, it's, it's really everywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that you bring up this um, this push pull, like the training to like stay clean and to kind of sanitize things, and um, but then mixed with the the knowing of the therapeutic aspect of being dirty and and just the the deep longing somewhere inside of us to to have the cracks of us, the cracks of our minds, the cracks of our fingers, you know, to, to get the smell in and to just totally be immersed Mm -hmm. that way. Um, We, we, I think it's part of what makes us sort of unreleasable these days, so to speak in this sense of, um, you know, human beings being so separate from our environments and, and being kind of unreleasable to the woods or unreleasable to the, to the meadows, or, you know, we just, it's, it's all become too foreign. So what a simple gateway, right. To like, just get kind of covered in dirt and not wash, like not scrub ourselves immediately. And just like really soak in the smell of that. I, I love it, Jen. Um, Well, just, you know, curious to learn a little bit more about your, uh, maybe it's a yearly um, offering, elemental writing, and you're going through the elements. So you've covered water, you're moving into earth, speaking of earth. And so I'm just curious if you have a, a story or an example of something and why don't we, you know, we talking about water and just um, water as life, you know, something that maybe was revealed to you in some fresh way in the process of teaching the class. And I'm feeling this in particular, like for those of us moving um, into summer in the Northern hemisphere, this even more, the sense of preciousness of, of water, you know, as it, when it comes out of the faucet, when we water our plants with it, um, just as we get drier, I'm like, I can feel it as I'm talking, you know, just that, um, the devotion to water. And so, yeah, let you, let you tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, this elemental writing thing has kind of been brewing for a long time with me. Originally, I kind of thought about it as maybe a book that I would write. And maybe it still will be that as an offering for, you know, like a, a support for people writing how to engage with the elements. And some of it came from, I, you know, I worked and studied a little bit at a five element acupuncture 
school in Maryland. I don't know if you and I ever talked about this. I don't think so. Yeah. So I worked at, it was the Thai Sophia Institute. Cool. And I worked in the admissions office and then I became part of the faculty for a little while for their applied healing arts program, which was basically applying the principles like a five element philosophy to any job or thing you were in. So kind of fell in love with all of that there. So I am not an expert there, <laughs> that too. And though we were talking about expert earlier. Yeah. Um, in the way that you are in terms of five element, but it's something that has just captured my imagination. And so of course, some of that comes from, some of this course comes from that. Um, and right now it's gonna be an offering, like, so the, the practical container for it is it's gonna be probably three times a year. Like mm-hmm. starting with, you know, I did one in starting with spring equinox and then this one will start with summer solstice and then the next one with fall equinox and then I'll take a break over the winter because that's when we take a break because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's winter when I need to take a break. yeah um, but anyway so I, you know I'm moving through the elements as in terms of like five elements you know earth water fire air and maybe wood too um metal I don't you know like I'm thinking of it both like in all the systems of elements. Yes. I know air is not part of five element, but you know, it's part of other elemental structures. So I really see this going much beyond that even like there probably will be an elemental writing course on, you know, sunflowers or plants or trees or, you know, food. I'm not sure. Like, I just, I want it to be really full, full of possibilities and, The, the main thing that it comes from is remembering that I am a body as a writer. Because so much of writing, you know, or writing classes, you hear all the time, I don't know if you heard all the time, like, you got to just put your butt in the chair and sit and write. And you kind of think your way through things. And then you become this disembodied mind hmm. that is just, you know, working out in this realm somewhere this observer realm that's separate Mm -hmm. and I'm not separate. I am a body in this chair, you know, where I'm sitting and my butt is getting sore from sitting too long sometimes. So I have to move. Yeah. And if I'm stuck, it's not this like mental writer's block. It's a whole body thing. It's not, you know, so that's kind of part of what happens in the class is to say like, we have to get up and move. And one of my favorite, like the favorite feedback that I've gotten from people who took the water course, which was the first one, um, is that it was the first Zoom gathering that they came to that they actually started looking forward to. Hmm. That it didn't feel like slogging through it because we moved. Mm-hmm. Every class at the beginning of class, we moved like water. You know, we would wave our arm, like we would get up and move. And I made sure that that was part of it. We weren't forgetting our bodies as we moved through. We drank water. We did rituals with water where we had our hands in water um so you know that's part of it the other part of it is looking at what wisdom the elements have for the craft of writing so that I totally nerded out on you know like looking into waves and how waves work and how the patterns of waves are actually a lot like story arc if you're thinking about rising action and climax and falling action wow you know, thinking about 
water in terms of theme and how all water is trying to return to the center of the earth. Like a story is always trying to return to the center of itself. Mm. And stories, by the way, are alive too, you know? So like engaging with them as living beings that we're working with. So yeah, I mean, it was just really like, it was a bringing together of all of these things that have been so powerful and important in my life in a way that felt like, oh, this is, something's coming together in a, in a vibrant way that it hasn't before. A love of writing, a love of ritual, you know, a love of senses, like my senses engaged, you know, like I'm grabbing onto the couch right now. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to, you know, like yeah. sink my teeth into it. I want to sink my hands into it. And yeah, so I think that answered part of your question. There probably was another part maybe about water specifically or connecting. Yeah, to- but I mean, just just taking a moment to reflect on, I mean, I wouldn't even think to go to the place of connecting the, the wave motion to the process of writing and story. I mean, that just is so cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess there, there are just so many different there, there's so many different ways that you could connect and kind of bring it all together. Um, yeah. So, so in the process of like doing this deep dive with water, was there anything else, any other nuggets that kind of came forth to you or? Yeah. I mean, there were so many, I mean, some, some of it was really like my own relationship with water. You know, I describe myself as a water baby, like I yes. I'm a, water was the easiest entry point for me to start all of this um, because I just, I love water. You know, I'm a Scorpio, you know, one part of it. Um, but I just feel so alive and so connected when I'm in water, near water. Yeah. And then becoming aware as I prepped for each of these classes, how much of our bodies are water and you know we're like over 60 percent water and some parts of us are like 80 percent water you know heart our heart is water our brains are water like bones are even like 22 percent water or something like that mm-hmm. and then reflecting on like okay if the moon is moving the tides is moving water and yeah. we are water we are all so being moved by that, which, you know, isn't a surprise for like a witchy person. <laughs> of course, we're moved by the moon. Yeah. I think I for the first time considering it in such a really literal embodied way and and also learning. I mean, speaking of Earth, which is coming next, that the moon actually pulls on the Earth, too. It's just you can't see it as much as with, you know, the, the fluidity of water and the solidity of Earth. You can't really see it, but it actually is getting tugged. You know, which is fascinating to me. Fascinating. Yeah. All of that. And so, you know, really getting literal into it, like not, I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about so much is metaphor and how it's become this thing where it's like, oh, you're not supposed to take that seriously, but starting to be serious. Like, I'm not kidding when I'm saying I'm talking to water. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, that's just, you know, it's, I mean, yes, it's a metaphor, but it's also like an actual thing that I'm doing. Like I would sit in the bathtub and I would talk to water and I've never done this for a class before, like filling a class or thinking about getting the right people 
you know, who wanted to be there and needed to be there and all of that. But that's how I did it. I mean, I talked to the water in the bathtub and I would get ideas of like, oh, I should reach out to this person or, you know, whatever. And that's how it happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, I um, I never really knew that. I mean, I, I knew about the, you know, 60 to 70% water, but I never really knew how much our bodies are a reflection of our local waterways. Um, so this idea that if we go to someplace new, and I felt this really profoundly when I moved across the country where um, this sense that my body was refilling with the water of the local waterways. And um, yeah. I have a, a well where I live now and the water comes off this little mountain where I live. And so it's this really direct connection of drinking the water and knowing that it has touched the body of the mountain and um, all the like all the ancient rock and just all their ancestral wisdom and it all gets condensed in the memory of this water and it's really um, it's just a whole nother layer that I never tuned into before pretty yeah. recently the last year or so so um, yeah, I just love that idea of our our local ecosystem and waterways are talking to and a direct reflection of the water running through the the bedrock where we live. And so, um, yeah, water. We could. Yeah. I think we could go on and on. Um, mm -hmm. But because I feel, I feel like you're just such a, a wordsmith. Jen, I've been wanting to ask you um, this question around exploring how language can be connected for us. Um, like it can be this direct expression of the place where we live, but then there are also these ways in which language just acts as this constant barrier or this tool of supremacy or certainty, um, certainty over you know, what's happening. And so, I'm curious what you're just observing personally in this realm, um, what's dying or emerging, like, especially as I, I feel like these communities, um, kind of mycelial communities globally, this, this movement to um, work with the breakdown differently. And I'm wondering how language kind of fits into that. And I'm finding people are using really cool, wildly creative, different ways of, of using language these days. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is so much to say about that. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I'm incorporating into this new course on earth is something sparked by, um, a part at the end is David Abrams book Becoming Animal mm -hmm. and I I think I was mentioning to you I got to listen to an amazing conversation with David Abram and Sophie Strand and Bio Akamolafe I think is how you say his last name mm -hmm. and it was incredible and some of this came up then the idea that some stories like connecting to the land around us these stories don't shouldn't be written down they should just be spoken mm. and I'm kind of sitting with that too like what does that mean to like kind of let go of the certainty of written down language which mm -hmm. obviously has been a priority for me in my 
you know, for most of my life, like I've studied writing and been a writer, you know, devoted myself to this, but that idea of like, okay, some of it is more alive when it's not glued down to a page. And what does that mean? And how can, as part of this new class, like we, you know, tell each other stories of the lands, the lands we are on. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind, you know, that I'm sitting with, playing with. And one of the other things is just thinking about like, what does social media and the internet do to language? You know, it's all these like blips and reels and like, I don't know, these splatters of things. Mm -hmm. And what does that do to our attention span? And how does that limit how we can communicate yeah. with each other? And there's another book, super interesting novel that I've been reading. I don't know if you know Patricia Lockwood. No. She, so her memoir, which is hilarious and amazing, is called Priest Daddy. Okay. Um, and that's a whole nother story. This novel that I finally got into reading after wanting to for a long time is called No One Is Talking About This. And it's really, I mean, I'm just kind of halfway through it, but I'm amazed and impressed with how she's just really like tapping into this idea of the internet as a portal mm -hmm. and how the portal changes us, changes the way we write and speak. And the book is even kind of structured in these like short paragraphs that are moving us through her story. Um, and so, you know, I guess what I'm playing with is like, okay, it's not about eliminating that because it's part of our reality, right? Like as much as sometimes I'm like, I just want to get rid of all of it. You know, it's how I connect with a lot of people yeah. and it, it's there. But I think part of my job as a writer and a teacher facilitator is to say, like, let us not forget the other ways that we can communicate and let us look to the earth, the water as inspiration for that. You know, like we don't just splatter like a quick rainstorm with our language. Mm -hmm. Sometimes language needs to meander like a river or like spread out wide, like a calm, calm sea or like churn, like an ocean or, you know, whatever it's all, or burble, <laughs> like a little brook or something. Yeah. Because I think what happens when we contain ourselves to like, well, this is the way we talk now. We have to text each other really quickly. Um, people don't even want to leave voicemail messages anymore. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, we limit and limit and limit and it just leaves us starving because that's not the only way we're fed by language. You know, we're not just fed by these little blips and it just keeps us in this loop of like coming back for another blip and another blip and another blip and we're never sated fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we're not allowing for the expansiveness of what communication can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, um, one of my practices is to just to know the names of, you know, some of my dear ones that live close by to me, like to know the, the Latin name and the common name of a plant, but then to just also listen, you know, is there another name that you'd like, 
or, you know, in terms of having this out loud conversation, um, you know, just being available to a lot of different names, um, that it doesn't need to be totally boxed up in one way and to recognize the, the barriers in some of that or the ways, like who gave those names in the first place. Um, okay, not sure if they really listened or paid attention to the deep, um, like energy signature of that being uh, before they just slap something on there. Um, so this, this listening, being available to many, many different kinds of names, I think. Um, and in that way, kind of expanding out the language of sorts. So, and, and just playing like every day, maybe there's a slightly different, you know, nickname or slightly, you know, expanding on that as you go as well. I like to play around with this circle dance of just naming as many um, as many beings as I can kind of locally, you know, ongoingly and every day, like the list it can get really long and, um, and hopefully is, is different kind of all the time. Uh, but it feels like this spiraling, like this, um, this form of adoration, just so, so grateful to, to share this kind of in this local space, at least, um, share myself to have an ongoing like back and forth kind of uh, conversation and communication. So um, you're, but it is a, a big, I feel like there's a lot there. I mean, this emergence of language and I, um, I like totally hear you on the like weird splattering shortened like I, I see the text between my 10 year old son and his best friend. And it's like, they, you can't even write sorry anymore. It's just S R Y. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, it's pretty bad, but um, yeah. Well, but what's funny about that is that also makes me think of maybe it was something in spell of the sensuous, um, you know, that was reflecting on, or even like my own study, you know, cause I have a, masters in theological studies too. So like studying sound like a little bit of Hebrew scriptures leading into like mm. Christian scriptures, but the idea of like verbs being left out to leave room for God, you, oh. you know, for the sacred, not like, so, yeah. and I'm probably butchering the like exact details of how that worked or is explained, but it was that idea, like with Yahweh, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have anything but the consonants mm. um, because it was something so sacred. So I don't know. I'm just curious when you just mentioned that, because I feel that too is like a, one of those symptoms I was just describing. Yeah. But I wonder maybe like we'll finally move so far away from language that we'll start to get back into like, maybe that's what emojis are about. We're going to communicate in pictures that are right. going to bring us back to embodied life. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I had this um, kind of flashing fleeting phrase moved through my mind a few weeks ago and it was like we're in a, a revolution of feeling you know collectively and and it's weird to think of emojis as like this opportunity for people to express their feelings but we really are we really are in this and I think embodiment goes along with that this this continued curiosity around just like letting are exhausted in our analyzers just to have a little bit of a breather so that we can actually tune into our body felt sense of things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just continuing to, um, I feel like it's continued to be normalized, just this, this revolution of feeling 
um, just continuing to, to let that arise um, within our, within the collective and kind of feeling into this sense for you, Jen, your, your, um, your longing and the ways in which you're drawn to sort of this haptic wisdom and this sensory knowing of things. Uh, I, I mean, I really do feel like it's one of your, your gifts, this willingness to be and write from exactly where you are, uh, whether that's your joy search party, which I was a part of um, in those days, Jen was having, which I, which is such a simple thing, but it was like, it was its own revolutionary thing, the joy search party. Um, you know, all the, all the way to some of your most recent writing pieces. Um, there's one in particular called A Love Letter to the Chronically Griefed Deprived, which I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about. Um, but I wanted to kind of connect that into, um, I mean, there's grief, there are just, there's so much there, but specifically tuning into the sense of eco-grief. Um, mm -hmm. This uh, the static that's always with us that hopefully we get moments to kind of fall to the earth and actually like weep, like let that water um, go into the earth. Um, in some ways the term eco-grief kind of bothers me a little bit. I feel like it's this, just another way that we like want to box something up or like have a slap a label on that puppy. Um, but anyway, yeah, just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the things that was part of that conversation I was mentioning, listening to, I think it was Sophie Strand who said something about like talking about the problem is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, like you said, even just giving it a label, like this is eco grief. Right. So we will put our ego grief in, you know, this quadrant of the universe and whatever. Um, and it's not that simple. I mean, the, the piece that I wrote came out of an experience of like, I had a colonoscopy go horribly wrong. Mm. <laughs> you know, like I woke up during it. Oh, and um, remembered waking up and was in pain. And so they, they couldn't complete it because they hadn't given me the right anesthesia or like whatever it would need. And, you know, like I found out I had a, I had what's called a torturous colon, if that's not like the worst term for, you know, anyway. Yeah. So I had to like go back the next day. I had to keep fasting. I had to take more of that horrible shit they make you drink that makes mm. you shit. And, right. um, you know, the doctor who was perfectly kind and was just trying to do his like bedside manner thing was just like, so where are you going for lunch after? And I was there, like I was in this hospital bed, like still connected to like IVs. Like my body was traumatized from various things that it had been experiencing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was dehydrated. I was hurting. It was all of these things. And like, are you kidding like I'm going home and I'm going to like lay on the couch probably for the next three days, like to recover from this. Mm -hmm. And it was just so, I don't know. It felt like such a microcosm of like what everybody's dealing with all the time. Mm. Just get back to work. Um, 
it's almost like some people have forgotten that we've gone through a global pandemic, that we're still going through one, that people are still suffering and dying, that it, you know, fucked up people's employment, that homelessness is worse, that it's all, all of it is connected and everyone like, okay, well, let's just get back to it. Let's just move along. And no space for grief. And I think we're all deprived of that, of just being able to like respond. All we're allowed to do is like react very quickly and then move on to the next thing that we're reacting to instead of being able to fully respond and grieve. And, you know, I don't think there needs to be this like binary of like, you have to grieve and then do nothing else. Mm -hmm. Like, I think actually it would probably be better if people were sobbing at work, you know, or sobbing in the grocery store. Like my friends and I talk about being a tear leader. forget if it was like Mary Beth at Bonfilio that came up with that somebody did but we were just talking about that like just crying in public which I have been really good at my whole life maybe that's the thing I'm an expert at but just letting ourselves be sad Mm. and vocalizing it Mm -hmm. and I don't know I'm not sure if I'm answering your question like was there a more specific thing about the grief or the eco grief Oh, I mean, I think that you just went straight there to to like the the pithy core of it, which is the lack of space in our hustle culture for, again, just like feeling, making space for those feelings, whether it's eco grief or whatever other kinds of grief are arising. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I guess it's just I'm interested in continuing to kind of palpate this word eco grief. I mean, I also see like eco anxiety and eco this and eco that. And it's like, yeah, the ecology of um, these feelings, you know, just just being curious about what's arising with that as I'm seeing these words in more and more places. It's It's like a a desire or a need. Um, But then also there's something kind of false that like something about it that, that rubs me the wrong way. So um, yeah, but, but I, I really, I agree. Like it's just making space, having breath, having a little room, just, just to let it arise period. So one of my most, um, Martin Prechtel, I'm blanking on the name of his book, but he, oh, oh, it's not that one. one. I'll have to put it in the resources, a link to it, Uh, but he gives the most beautiful grief ritual of going to the the mother ocean. Um, And it's complicated. It's not like a simple little thing, people. It's like days worth um, of this, this ritual. And it's very, very specific. And it just reminds me of that, like that, um, it, it requires really making a lot more space than that we, than we think we need to at times. So, um, yeah. And I just wanted to read, uh, something I just took a little, I love this, um, that you talk about letting your grief 
grow tall, Jen. This is a little like snippet that I took from one of your writings on Instagram. And um, you say, let your grief grow tall. My grief, mother gone, father gone, healthy body I once knew gone and gone. More I cannot say right here and now has grown tall, I think. Grown with me, grown into something beautiful and unexpected. When allowed into the fullness of herself, when allowed space, grief can grow into something tall and strong. And I just think that is so true and so beautiful, Jen. Um, yeah, didn't know if you, there's anything else that you wanted to, to add to that. Um, I feel like it's, it's sort of ongoing. Um, you know, also feeling the grief in this pattern of having difficulty or I'm noticing this pattern within myself of, of feeling just, just frustrated, sad, disappointed in the harms that humans um, are bringing, bringing to all sorts of things, I guess. Um, but it gets directed in this story, like I'll find myself even saying it out loud in front of others, just like, oh, humans. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, um, I, I had a great moment the other day where I realized I, I have this little offerings practice um, while eating of just like kind of having the composted scraps or whatever, like instead of just immediately putting in the compost bin, like leaving it out while I'm eating and just rejoicing in the humans that help to kind of make that possible. Mm -hmm. And I happen to um, live amongst small farms where there's just a tremendous amount of love put into this ongoing coaxing and uh, this relationship with the earth. I mean, I, I have the, I had the farmer of this sweet little farm stand just a couple of few minutes down the road. And I I've seen her face at the end of the day, she's got her little person next to her. She looks exhausted. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of like, she's really got, you know, hands in dirt, but I um, it's just this opportunity for me to, to change that story, to have a way, a pathway to be grateful, like that humans, they're, you know, there's this like juiciness, there can be such a beauty in our relationships. Um, and so I just hold that thanks for my local farming community. Um, but yeah, just feeling into ways, I'm curious if there are you know, I'm leaving it up for any <laughs> other little moments, little light bulbs to arise in realizing like, oh, I can't, I, I can't continue this story. Like even my, in my idea of um, like what it means to be animus, like I don't think that 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 exists without including humans in all of it. Like we have to be included in the in the story about you know, living beings that we are entangled and that I can't be excluding humans in that. So yeah, just wondering if you've had any, you know, curiosities or thoughts around humans being included in the story with slightly less disgruntlement, but, or maybe that's just going to be there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it is just going to be there, but yeah. it's, you know, it's hard because like when we see what human supremacy has 
done. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the same, like, maybe not the same. It's parallel. It's resonant. It echoes with, you know, when women have been excluded for so long to be like, no, we have to really listen to what the men have to say. Or when anybody who's not white has been excluded for so long, like, it's hard not to be like, I mean, I hear that with full reverence and respect and just shut my mouth because it's hard to be like, want to listen to what any white people say, Hmm. you know? And yet we're all in this fucking mess together. So there can be a way of, I think, softening or taking step back or encouraging more pause I say this to myself as a human like how I can be a human better human Mm. be a better member of the alive family of the world Mm -hmm. and I think you know like I had a moment today I was telling you before we started the call where um this we've had a a mouse problem at our house. And so this, one of the pest control people giving us an estimate was out there today. And, you know, he was about to like go out and write up an estimate and talk to his boss and, you know, all of this stuff. And I, you know, of course he had been like in our crawl spaces and in the attic, like these hot, uncomfortable, like, I don't even know how people fit down there, honestly. Yeah. Um, I have not done it myself. And, you know, there's a, God, there's like somebody else here And are they potentially trying to like screw me over? And are they yet another human like walking carelessly through the world and to have my, you know, boundaries up? Mm -hmm. And I paused for a minute in the kitchen, you know, and like the last guy that was here, I also offered him a glass of water. And, you know, so I did that with this guy. Mm -hmm. And this time, I was just trying to think like, okay, like, is it up to me to like withhold my magic or withhold what I know about the power and beauty of the earth just because I'm pissed at humans? And, you know, so I asked this guy, I don't know why this is making me cry right now, but it is. I asked this guy, do you want some mint in your water? Like this, you know, and he he just sort of paused and he was like, well, never had that before and I said well do you like mint and you know I said and he said yeah and I said well then you're probably like the taste of that he's like sure I'll try it so like I you know I did like I would do if I had a friend who you know like if you were at my house yeah I ripped some mint off of the you know the mint I have in a glass in the kitchen these stalks of it and I rinsed it off and I put it in his water for him and I don't know. I think that's like one way of like, to just like soften the hatred, Mm. you know, to like, there's one more reference I will make to this. One of my favorite movies, Enchanted April. Do you know this? It's these four British women who end up like going on holiday in Italy. And it's really like a, it's a softening and letting go for like all of them. And the one woman, Josie Lawrence plays this character who's just in this marriage. That's just like, kind of like 
tit for tat and I'll do this and you do the, you know, whatever. And she just has a moment where she's like, I just don't want to withhold my love anymore or something like that. And you know, like, it doesn't matter if he gives me this, I'm going to offer this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe like getting that, like in touch with that, like deep generosity and generativity that is our, like all creatures, you know, that we have and saying like, okay, like when I'm in touch with that, like, of course I'm going to offer mint to everybody in their fucking water. <laughs> and it uh-huh. doesn't matter if it's the pest guy or the electricity guy, you know, or what, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think these uh, having just opportunities ongoingly to let the heart fill, you know, and I think that um, that makes it a little bit easier, you know, to be generous in our love um, that the heart knows it has this capacity for that. Uh, So Hmm. thanks, Jen. Well, I I, want to give you an opportunity to to maybe just talk a tiny bit more about elemental writing or any anything else that you wanted to tell us about your your offerings at this time. Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, I mean, I think the main thing is, you know, like, I'm not sure when when you'll share this or when it'll be up, but registration is still open for this next adventure in elemental writing. the course starts around summer solstice. And so if somebody that's listening that, you know, wants to be part of the vulnerability of this experience and, you know, touching on that, tapping in that, I mean, into that, I'm here. You can ask me questions and reach out, you know, I'm pretty accessible. Um, But yeah, you know, that's, that's a big thing. I mean, always as a writer as an artist you know my what I share on Patreon I kind of consider that like my space of like I allow myself to be supported as I it's you know the same like putting mint in the water like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to just like put that out in the water you know and for a while I had it set up like I don't know if you know how much you work with Patreon or know about it but it's like there there are tears yeah. That you can say and say like, oh, if you sign up for this much money, you get this. And I just wanted to like get out of that. And so I decided to like offer everything to everyone, mm. no matter what they pledge. Okay. So like you can say be there for like a dollar a month and you're going to get the same thing as somebody who can give more because I understand that people's resources are all different. And a dollar a month means something very different to some people. And $50 a month means to some, you know what I mean? So I'm kind of playing with that there and wanting it to not be a thing where I feel like, oh, I have to like meet these goals to like give people this, this, and this, you know, like I want to be there as an artist giving my art. And if people are, you know, if they have the capacity to support me financially in that way, and to put that kind of value towards because you know as much as I don't want to be living in capitalism we're living in capitalism and you know we need money to survive so that's one of the places that I survive and sustain so you know I always welcome new people to that space I call it initiation station Mm -hmm. 
Um, I love that. Because it's all about these initiations that we're going through every moment, every day that, and by we, I, I mean, the sunflower seeds, <laughs> you know, yeah, the humans and everything in between. Yeah. I, I have to take special care. The, the tremendous urge I have to not help the sunflowers. Um, like when the seeds are hanging on, you know, there's just yes. like, you want to kind of like help pluck them on. Sometimes they really are loose. Um, but other times you're like, Oh, it's not my job. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. hurt you. And <laughs> trying to rush the process. It is mm -hmm. a funny urge to kind of just like, Oh, let me, let me see. I can, let me make your load easier. Let me, let me help you unfurl, you know, your whole self there. Well, I'm sure like, you know, that as a practitioner, and I know that as somebody who mentors writers and yeah. you know, teaches, yeah, yeah, you have to be careful with people's seeds that are coming off. Like you can't just pluck them off, mm. or you might damage the tender new thing that's growing. Yeah, and we're here. I mean, I'm speaking for you. You can tell me if you disagree, but like we're here for people's healing and thriving and well-being. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we mm -hmm. got to learn when to resist the urge to pluck the seed. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, well, thank you, Jen, for this lovely conversation and just getting to see you and be with you. And thank you, everyone, for, for listening and spending this, spending your precious time with us. It is precious. And I appreciate, you know, any of the ways that we can just feel into the tension of things. Um, to kind of push up against our edges a bit these days, I think is really useful. And um, also at the same time, build our, our resonance, our field of adoration for this great wild, gorgeous planet that we live on. So yeah, thank you for making this altar to that. Mm. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, it is I an altar. Last night to your intro thing again, like the, you're welcome to it. And it's just, mm -hmm. it is, it's worship. It's prayer, it's sanctuary, it's beautiful. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Bye for now. <laughs>